Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Thanks for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. If you have any questions about buying or selling in Calgary and the surrounding area, please reach out. We'd love to connect with you. We can also help if you have any questions on specific real estate investing, like how to buy a rental property, legalize in a basement suite, house flipping, plus a personal favorite of mine is how to maximize the sweat equity in your current home. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. It would be really appreciated. Hey guys, in today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Carlos Yonalinas, all about starting and scaling a successful short-term rental business. Carlos' first short-term rental was driven by the desire to help his mom. She owned a condo that wasn't cash flowing and it was actually underwater each month. By turning it into a short-term rental, they were able to more than double the rents per month. So they went from around $1,200 per month up to anywhere from $25,000 to $3,000 per month. Carlos is also an Airbnb community leader for Edmonton and Northern Alberta. He'll be hosting an Edmonton's first Airbnb bootcamp next month from March 8th to 10th. Carlos will be sharing the local secrets on how to start and operate a safe and successful short-term rental business. To find out more about his upcoming bootcamp, you can sign up at canadianvestor.com. And there'll be a link in the show notes. Hey, Carlos, how's it going today? Fantastic. How are you doing, Corey? I'm doing good. I just want to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm excited to have you on the show. Could you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what's keeping you busy these days? Yeah, my name is Carlos. I'm a real estate investor. I've been real estate investing since 2016. And in 2018, I stumbled into the world of short-term rentals with Airbnb. And from there, we grew our portfolio. Um, I've got over a dozen properties in the Edmonton area, and I really specialize in Edmonton. And from there, I've been uh, continuing to grow my real estate portfolio and focusing on that. At the same time, I'm dabbling in a few other businesses. I've got a gym. I've got a custom furniture making business, a couple of other little businesses on the side. But the main thing I do is real estate investing, focusing on short-term rentals. So how did you stumble into the short-term rental? What does that mean? Can you explain that a bit more? Yeah, it's because I'm a mama's boy. My mom was a bit of a real estate investor, but she had a condo that was underwater and back in 2017. The uh, rental market was rough here in Edmonton, so she was losing money and having a really hard time finding quality tenants. So I said, hey, like it's been on the market for four months here. Why don't we try this Airbnb thing? The worst case scenario, you just go bankrupt a little faster. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> and so she said, oh, so we went, we spent about eight grand on furniture. We targeted like the higher end of the market. And literally the first guest who came to check in, we were just literally finishing things up as he was like, knocking on the door so i came out shook his hand gave him the keys and as he walked into the to the uh, kitchen we just heard him say man this is way better than a hotel and after that we caught the bug so we were pulling in rents in the area at the time would have been like 1200 bucks a month for a two-bedroom condo and we were pulling in 2500 3000 so at that point we said hey let's uh take all of our real estate portfolio and shift it over a little bit change our strategy and we haven't looked back since. That's smart. Now, at that time, were you guys taking care of the bookings? Did you have to do the cleaning? Or did you have that scaled a little bit already out of the gate? The first one, so back then there was like, there was no online courses or anything like that. 
that could help us out. Very little material. So I was doing all of the bookings and handling everything. Made some mistakes. Let the place be rented out to people who I shouldn't have. My mom was doing all the cleaning. And then my wife was like half and half helping out with the other two things. So we did it all ourselves. Since then, of course, we expanded up. I've got my own employees for cleaners. I've actually got two cleaning teams. And I still do all the bookings myself because it's literally so easy. Um, For me, it's not worth hiring a full-time manager because I'm able to take care of it by myself between me and my wife. But probably in another three properties, it'll be too much for us and we'll have to hire a full-time manager. But in the meantime, I use that cap to continue to expand. That's great. And what what part of Edmonton was that in? That one was in Sure Park. So Sure Park's like an Airdrie for Edmonton, except it's east of Edmonton. And what type of renters were coming? Was it just people visiting family or is there an industry there? Yeah, we honestly like in the Sherpark Park market specifically. So essentially you got two kinds of Airbnb markets. You've got either people who are coming for something like a amenity or an event space. So that'd be like people coming for a hospital visit who are coming for to go to Nate, who are coming to go to Oilers games. So people targeting amenities. And then you've got the everyday travelers who are coming to visit family. They're coming for work. They're coming for things that are a little bit more specific to either their employment or family situation. So that's like what you get in uh, Edmonton. Sure Park gets way more of the people who are coming to visit family, who are coming for like working out of Scottford or places like that. So we get a lot more of those in Sure Park. And honestly, that's probably, in my opinion, where the better money is because you tend to get longer term, like what we call medium term bookings more. But at the same time, though, there's also a lot of money in getting event bookings because they pay a higher premium. Yeah. And then so medium term, what? how many days is that typically a medium term booking? We call medium term in the industries anything 30 days above. So they're going to book, these people are going to come in and book for the month? Yeah. For example, at uh, Nate, the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, people will come for three-month courses. They're here for three months and then they're gone. They don't want to sign a lease. They don't want to have to try to find furniture. They come in to stay at our Airbnb, they finish their course, then they head on to wherever they're from. Interesting. Yeah. In my mind, with when I think short-term rental, I'm thinking quicker turnover, maybe two days, three days. And then obviously that would put more energy and time from you for booking and, and scheduling that. But if they're booking for, say, a month at a time, that's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. There's benefits because typically when you're booking a month, like for example, on one of my downtown studio apartments, if you're booking for a month, they're paying like probably like $1,800 to $2,000 for that month. I, I pull in less revenue, but if I'm doing it short term, I'll pull in twenty five to three thousand. But then, like you said, my cleaning expenses are higher, turnover expenses are higher. But it's about finding that medium between the two. Some people will only do medium term. Some people only do short term. Typically, in busy season, I'll want the short terms because I get the more money, and there's more people booking at higher premiums. And then in the slow season, I'll try to get as many medium terms as I can. Yeah, that totally makes sense. What what kind of uh, things did you learn? Maybe could you share a story about how you ended up with a bad short-term tenant and then what you learned from that and how to maybe uh, avoid that in the future? Yeah, at the end of the day, like with long-term rentals, the biggest thing you need to do is with getting a new tenant is your due diligence on the front end. At the end of the day, that's going to prevent 90% of your problems. And it's the same with short-terms. You got to do all your due diligence on the front end. And there's different tools, like there's the rating system. You're not pulling somebody's credit, but they are paying for entire thing in advance up front so there's it's a little bit different but the first ever problem guess we had 
there was a girl, she messaged us, said, hey, we're just finishing up our exams. We're hoping we can book here. What's the earliest we could check in? It's just me and my friends. We're just looking to have a final like place where we can relax and take it easy before we say goodbye. So, of course, I, I took her at her face word. like She just wanted a place to relax after exams. In hindsight, I was like, wait a second. University students looking to get in as soon as possible, looking to have a bunch of friends come over. And they're saying they just want to relax, but at the end of the day, we realize no, this is a party after the fact, after they threw the party in place. That was the first thing that caused us problems in that building. That was one of the flags that we got. And typically, it's things like that. I had a guy who messaged us and said, "Hey, yeah, like I'm having a wedding. I'd like to have a. It's a small, like little ceremony. Can we have it at your property?" And so we said, "Oh, that's a little weird, a little different, but yeah, sure, I guess that would be fine with us. How many people are you expecting?" Oh, not many, like 30 to 40 people. (laughs) To that point, we're like, actually, I don't think we're going to be a great fit for you. Yeah, no kidding. How do you select a a short-term rental? If it's close to the West Edmonton Mall, it's going to be a different short-term rental, like you said, than in Sherwood Park. How do you evaluate it? And is there a certain sweet spot where maybe it's too big of a property, that kind of thing? Doing long-term rentals, a condo, you have a very different marketing and you have a very different target than if you had a five-bedroom house. Like your tenant profile is going to be different. Likewise, your guest profile is going to be different depending on where you're booking and stuff like that. The way I like to do it is I actually analyze, start with the big picture of the whole market. And from there, I zoom in until I find those little niches where there's opportunities in the market to make a short-term rental, to find an area that's underserved or find an area where there's a little bit higher uh, income coming in for the guests that are willing to pay more, even if the competition is a little bit more fierce. So that's one the way I go about it. For example, when I was uh, searching, uh, analyzing the downtown market, I went and checked. So I, first thing I looked at is how many of each type of unit is there. How many studio apartments are there? How many one-bedroom apartments? How many two-bedroom apartments? How many three-bedroom apartments? How many four-bedroom houses? And in Edmonton downtown, there is not an there's three three-bedroom and above apartments. So if I realize if I go downtown and I snap up a three-bedroom unit, I'm going to be pulling in money out of her fist because I'm going to be one of the only competition in the area. But meanwhile, if I came in with a one-bedroom, I'm going to have to spend more money and decor and marketing to be able to stand out from the competition. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Is there a software that you use to help you analyze properties? There's a couple programs you can use. So essentially, Airbnb sells its API to certain people for a high premium. So there's companies like AirDNA and uh, All the Rooms and Wheelhouse. All of them are great tools, but all like AirDNA will only give you what the average is for the area. So with Airbnb, it's like a bell curve. With long-term rentals, it's just basic supply. There's this many houses on the market. There's this many tenants. They're going to get paired at these prices. And there's not a lot you can really do to adjust your rents. Like if you do the place up really nice, you may collect an extra 100, 200 bucks a month, but you're not going to collect double what everyone else does. With short-term rentals, it's completely different. It's a bell curve system. So a bell curve is that thing that has a little bit in like the 10th percentiles on the outside, and then it goes up to the average where 50% of the people are. So with Airbnb, the top 10% is always going to get booked first. And they're going to get booked at the highest rates. From there, once they're booked up, you're going to get the above average units, then the below average units, and then finally the underperformers get what's left over at the end. On busy season, it's hard to tell because everybody's booked because it's just so busy and there's just not enough units. But in slow seasons, when you see the really big divergence in there, where there's a lot of people who are 
doing really well and a lot of people doing absolutely horribly. Interesting. Is there a sweet spot for how much you would do up a property? When I've looked at Airbnb, there seems to be almost like hotels. There's, there's a fancier, nicer one. You can go to the Hilton or you can go maybe to the Super 8. And it's you have these different options in Airbnb. Do you make all your short-term rentals really pristine or is there some that are just, oh, they're okay and that's going to be the sweet spot? Yeah, I definitely am. I want to aim for the highest end market in the area. So I want to be the best of the best in the area because of, and in the city. So I always aim for that higher. There's ways to save money, look high end, without spending, breaking the bank. So I typically budget $7,000 per bedroom. So if it's a one-bedroom property, I budget $7,000. If it's a two-bedroom, I budget fourteen. dollars If it's a five-bedroom, I budget five. So that's how I budget the properties for the area. And then from there, there's ways you can save money and lower your costs. For somebody who's starting out, you become a Facebook Marketplace warrior, thrift store warrior. Do a little bit of yourself and uh, save money that way. But once you get to the scale that I'm at, it's tough to devote that much time to those kind of things. So that's where that budget comes in. That's Those are good numbers to know. How do you save some money maybe on prepping the property? So you're maybe, is there any sort of hacks or ways that you're finding? You said you could make it look more high end. Yeah. So there's a lot of like little things that you can do. So it depends if it's just the furnishings, there's some things you can do. And if you're doing it's a property you own and you're renovating it, there's other things you can do. One of the easiest and cheapest things you can do right now is you can paint the ceiling. So if you paint the ceiling a powerful color, you end up having really standing in photos and stuff like that. And that costs like 50 bucks for paint and that's about it. So that's a really inexpensive option for if you're doing renovations yourself. If it's a property that you own, for example, I I can make go and find canopy beds and poster beds. Most people, when they buy a bed, they get just a regular bed that's got a little headboard. It's pretty flat. Maybe there's a footboard. One thing that you can do to stand out is getting a canopy bed that has a third dimension, that has either those posts going up on the sides or a canopy on top. And when you're on Facebook, they're not much more expensive than uh, used as new. Typically, they're made of wood, so they're in good condition. You might have to stain some of the scratches and stuff like that, maybe buff some out. But for three, 400 bucks, you get a beautiful bed frame that you don't have to spend $2,000, $3,000 on to get the same effect, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I've done that in the past too. I once got these leather recliners from a was an expensive area. It was at the back of their theater room. Probably paid about at least five thousand for these things, and I paid five hundred. And it still had the tags on them. And I don't know if anybody ever sat in them. And they're beautiful, black recliners, real leather. You can get opportunities like that where tenth of the price. Yeah, exactly. And then another thing, for example, is because I'm in the more the big house niche. I more I focus more on that. When you're having a big giant dining table. One thing you can do is instead of having chairs, you switch to benches. So each chair will typically be like anywhere from 70 to 200 bucks, depending on your decor style. But if you're getting 16 chairs at, let's say, 100 bucks each, that's 1600 bucks. Or I can just go get some benches. I spend $300 on the two side benches, so 600 bucks. And then on the end benches, I buy like 150 bucks. So that's another 300 bucks. So I'm spending 900 bucks. By just getting benches instead of chair dining chairs. So I'm essentially cutting my costs in half for that. And the nice thing about benches is that you have have a higher capacity for seating. So the thing I always tell people is, yeah, our table's good. It can fit like 12 people around it or 16 people who really like each other. So families, of course, typically like each other. The ones that don't like each other will sit on the other side of the table. So that's, that's right. another way you can do it. 
What about security on your properties? Do you have the cameras and the remote access, doorknobs and that kind of thing? Yeah. So what I used to do full smart homes. Now I've toned it back to smart homes. Very software tends to run issues every couple of years. Nowadays, what I have is I have doorbell cameras on the front and back doors. And then I'll typically have like little wise camera in the uh, garage. So I have monitoring on all the entrances. So I know who's coming in and out for inside the suites. It's not worth it to ever have cameras in there. Technically, there are ways you can be allowed cameras on the platforms, but it's not worth it. People complain. People find it creepy and weird. So what I do is I, I just have decibel monitors. Decibel monitors, they're given by a variety of companies. I love the ones from Minute the best. They they don't record the sound, but they do monitor the noise levels. And then when it hits a certain threshold in an apartment, it'll be like 75 decibels. I get a little notification and then I'm able to tell the guests, hey, I see you're having a great time. Would you be able to turn the music down just a little bit so we don't upset our neighbors? And most people are really good. They're just, oh yeah, sorry. Well, there's little things like that you can do to be able to control the experience. And then also you're able to go, hey, it's 90 decibels in there. Oh, now I'm looking at the cameras. There's 40 people showing up. It looks like there's a party, so I'm going to be breaking it up and shutting it down. That's another thing you can do as well. Yeah, that hopefully that's pretty infrequent when that happens. Yeah, the, you know, there was a time when it was common, and it, we call it party getting in the Airbnb community. It was the summer of 2020 when all the bars were still closed, all the clubs and all the halls were closed, but people figured out that Airbnbs were still open. And then people, some rappers started rapping about it. So then the word got out. And so it was just a nightmare dealing with the parties and stuff. I had three parties in one summer. And then I haven't had a party since then. Are yours personally owned your short-term rentals or, or have you done any arbitrage on some properties? About a third of the properties I own myself. A third are joint ventures and then a, a third are arbitrage. And then I've got one or two co-hosts. For our listeners, so maybe some people haven't heard what arbitrage is. Could you maybe just explain that? Yeah. So arbitrage, essentially, you're picking something up at one price and you're selling it. So retail arbitrage, you go to Walmart, you get something on clearance, then you turn around and on Amazon, you sell it for double the price. So that's what arbitrage is. What rental arbitrage is, is I'm going and I'm renting out a property long-term and then I'm turning around and I'm putting it, putting furniture in it and then I'm listing it as a short-term rental on either like Airbnb, VRBO or one of the other platforms. So then at the end of the month, I pay my rent. So I get the property at a lower price and then I keep the spread of what's left over after Let's say I own a long-term rental and you're interested in my property. How would you pitch that to me that you want to take that and rent it out as a short-term rental? Oh, it depends. If it's like an apartment building, there's a different way you'd pitch it when talking to the property management company. But if I'm talking to an individual landlord, it's a, it's like with and doing any sort of real estate deal. You need to find out what the landlord wants, how you can help that landlord. So typically, if it's like a tired man, I'll tell him, hey, man, I know you've had a hard time, or I've heard you've had a hard time with guests, you're really frustrated with it. How would you like to have the perfect um, tenant for a period of years? So I would love to rent your property. I run a corporate housing company. What I do is I rent the properties out, I then furnish them, and then after that, I attract clients from different uh, groups like Shell or uh, from the hospital. They come, they stay here for like three to four months. And then they go. And you, I would love it if I could be one of your tenants for that. I'll sign a three-year lease with you. 
and you're going to have no headaches because I need to keep this property in mint condition. Otherwise, I get complaints, I lose clients, and I lose money. So I, this property is going to be in condition. Honestly, the only time I'll ever call you is if there's like a, the furnace goes or your hot water tank blows up or something like that. Stuff that's definitely like landlord stuff. Outside of that, I'm taking care of everything else. If a tenant put, or one of my guests puts a, a hole in the wall, I'll be fixing it at my expense because I need the place up and running and looking beautiful. And it was my people who caused that. So you will have no stress at all. And the only thing that you might have stress with is guessing the password on e-transfer every month. Nice. I like it. How the short-term rental market business evolved? How's it changed? It's totally different from when I started. Look, back in 2016, 17, 18, you could just grab anything, throw the cheapest IKEA furniture you can into it, and you'd make money hand over fist. So and that's just because there was nobody there. Like in Edmonton, when I started up, there was like 120 Airbnb units. Now there's 1,800. So it's definitely grown a lot. But at the same time, though, client pools there's a lot more guests coming a lot more people prefer it over hotels so uh, the competition's gone up. obviously the profit margins have gone down a little bit they're not as crazy as they used to be but it's become more of an established industry and the nice thing as well is that a lot of people know the new how there's a lot more resources out there to do what i did back then what i did is i had the spreadsheet when i was trying to figure out doing market research i had a spreadsheet out I analyzed every single rental in Edmonton at the time, figured out how much the costs were, how much the utility costs were, and then I figured out what the average Airbnb income was for the area. And I had I did this 200 times to be able to figure out which communities in Edmonton were the easiest. Nowadays, people can just go on AirDNA and find out with 30 seconds, which are the best uh, neighborhoods according to it. Yeah, it definitely streamlines that process. It's easier now. You can analyze and, and get information much easier. Exactly. Yeah. If a listener here is maybe just starting out, maybe they currently have a long-term rental and they're considering turning it into a short-term rental, what advice would you give them? The first piece of advice is if it's a property you're looking to turn into a short-term rental, realize that you actually have to spend money. You have to get good furnishings. You have to get art on your walls. You have to get good decor. So don't try to cheap out on that because that's going to make or break your experience. Like I said, I typically budget $7,000 per bedroom for the unit. And that's how, where I expect the cost to be. You might be a little bit more, you might be a little less. The other thing as well is realize that everybody and their dog who's trying out short-term rentals will rent out their basement suite or their garage suite. So it's a lot more competition in that area. It's a great way to start and test it out. And if you look in your area and that it's a, there's a shortage of basement suites, that might be a great way to go. But more likely, you're probably going to want to rent out either your upstairs suite or your whole house. So that's what I would recommend. Start. Probably start with one unit. See if you even like the, the business. It's very different. It's You're essentially doing, you're selling that time at retail instead of wholesale as a long-term rental. So dive into that and really try to like probably focus on an upstairs unit or a whole house rental. Great advice. What does Airbnb require? to? If you have a property, how are they going to determine if they're even going to allow it uh, on their platform? Let's say it's a suite that's not, uh, legalized through the municipality, are they going to reject that? In Calgary, you have a lot more hoops to jump through than Edmonton. Edmonton's a lot more easier. You just need a license. Airbnb at this time only requires that uh, they verify, they check you. They check, do a background check on you. You have to submit your ID so they can verify you as a host now. So they'll check you out to make sure you're not some crazy person. And then from there, they trust you to obey your local laws. So the thing about Airbnb is it's a platform. 
like Kijiji or Facebook Marketplace. Anyone could put anything on there. And then after that, the moderation happens if anyone complains or stuff like that. So that's a really important thing to remember is that if it turns out you're breaking the local bylaws, Airbnb will side with the, the municipality. So make yeah. sure that you contact or get your license for Calgary. I think essentially you need a fire inspection, a few other things as well. I, I can't remember what the new bylaw is off the top of my head. It, it, that kind of thing you would make sense from a safety standpoint. Let's say if, if you got someone that, hey, oh, my smoke, maybe they don't even have smoke detectors, but if they do, maybe they're not, they're not working, that kind of thing. You would think there'd be some something where it has to be checked ahead of time. Exactly. And that's why the city of Calgary has those inspection requirements. You typically have to send a floor plan in. You have to send, they're really focused on safety and also a list of the things you're going to do to manage your garbage, to manage parking, and to manage parties if they happen. I see. What other platforms are there? Is Does Airbnb have the lion's share or are there other platforms that people can be putting their rental on? Yeah. So Airbnb definitely has lunch. It's the biggest one. VRBO is the next biggest one. It probably has about 30% of the market. So it's it just stands for vocation rental by owner. So Verbo is a lot more third party than Airbnb is. They don't handle the, the payment system. They don't have the same air cover that Airbnb has. You're required to submit to the guest your own agreement, but they typically have a better client profile, like clientele on Verbo typically is like a little bit of an older demographic. So some people prefer it over Airbnb. The next big one would be booking.com. So Verbo is really popular. It used to be called HomeAway. It's really popular in Europe. Booking.com is actually really popular in Asia. However, it's really more of a website built towards hotels. So there's a lot more hotel-y like aspects to it, and they don't provide any sort of protection or coverage there, but you do get access to another group of clientele. I know people in Vancouver, especially, they'll all be on booking.com because they the city itself targets the Asian market. But that's another one. And then as well, Google is actually coming out with Google vacation rentals. So that's another option that's coming up that's interesting and I'm experimenting with. The government comes out, an example would be in BC and what's going on in Kelowna with the short-term rentals. It has a obviously a significantly negative impact on the industry. Do you have concerns uh, building your business like this in Alberta that could happen here? Of course. Even back in uh, October, we had a, a certain counselor try to put a, out a motion that was looked the same and too bad, but he put out a motion that the rest of the city council just rolled their eyes at. Essentially, he wanted to ban all short-term rentals. The city council, of course, ended up washing it because they had bigger fish to fry. But at the same time, that can come up. And back in 2019, that did come up. And all of us hosts banned together. We started coming up to city council meetings. We started talking to our city councilors and talking to them about that. So that way, the only voices they did heard weren't just the hotel lobbyists and complaints from people who live beside bad hosts. So because of that, we were able to get really favorable bylaws in Edmonton. I was one of the four people from the Airbnb community who actually sat down with city administration to hash out the bylaws. It was super fun. It made me realize I never want to get into politics, but that's one thing that you need to do as an instance. You need to be involved in your local community. You need to be involved if you want to scale up, especially getting to know your city council, doing that politics thing, or at least helping others to be able to do that. It's obviously a bit of a time constraint, but because of that, when the federal government put it forth its uh, new tax law, one of the stipulations in it is it only applied to either non-compliant or illegal short-term rentals. 
So because I'm in compliance, I have my licenses and everything like that, it didn't affect me at all. But if you flip over to BC, the provincial government did something that has really upset most of the municipalities in BC. They have no intention of changing it. So they're doubling down on it. And it's really hurt a lot of real estate investors who only had the plan for short-term rentals. So all my units, in the event that short-term rentals suddenly were banned, I can flip them over to long-term rentals or corporate rentals. There's a hundred different options. But in BC, in some of these cities like Kelowna, they literally, their only plan was short-term rentals. So when this black swan comes out, they end up getting caught when they're in trouble. And can't fault them for that. BC's always had a market that uh, appealed to vacation rentals, but now overnight it doesn't. And one thing that uh, most people are getting really frustrated with is that overnight the hotels doubled their nightly rates. So mm-hmm. in Victoria, they went from 300 bucks a night to 800 bucks a night. I'm saying, oh, look, who's really profiting from this? Yeah, for sure. It's a blanket policy that has significantly negative impact, I think, overall. Yeah. And then as well, most other municipal, like most other provinces in Canada have seen what happened in BC and now nobody wants to touch it because they don't want to have the same thing happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they retract some of these these rules and laws or not in BC. How does someone become a super host and what's the significance of being one? Yeah, so super host is essentially, it's a, it's a little thing that goes in your profile. It gives you a boost in your algorithm. And to become a super host, you need to have a rating of 4.8 and above when you, all your reviews over the past year are put together on your host profile, not your listing. That's something that some people mix up is it's actually just all your listings on your profile. As long as they average up to 4.8 and above, you end up getting a check mark there. You need to have a response rate above 90%. So when people send you inquiry or they send you a message, you have to respond within 24 hours to maintain that 90% um, response rate. And then finally, you need to have a minimum number of stays per year. It's not very much. It's 10 nights, I think, per year. So with over three plus days. And then your cancellation rate be less than 1%. So for every 100 bookings you get, you can only cancel one. So obviously, Airbnb would monitor your stats. And if you go outside of those parameters, you lose the super host rating. But if you can get it back, then you're back in as a super host. Yeah, it's analyzed quarterly. So it's not the end of the world when you miss it one time. If you're missing Superhost, you're typically really not doing very well. You're typically got really bad reviews. You're typically not doing very well as a host in general. It's really hard to not make Superhost. I typically tell people if you can't make Superhost, you might want to look at getting someone else to manage your properties, find a co-host to do it. There is another thing that's come out recently in the past quarter that is called Guest Favorite, though. That's more the preferred badge now. It's every day it's given to the top, I think, 10,000 properties in the world. They receive this thing called guest favorite. And so there's some internal metrics for that. But that's like what we're chasing now. Everyone wants to get that guest favorite badge. Okay. How do you get reviews from people that are staying at your short-term rentals? What's the, what's some strategies you've used to get positive reviews? Yeah, that honestly, that's a big part of the puzzle. Getting good reviews is really important. The The first thing that happens is you want to make sure that your guests, when you communicate to them, you're pleasant, you're nice, your customer service is great, you're responsive, and you make the guests feel valued, you make the guests feel cared about. The next thing is your property. Are you keeping your place clean? And when I say clean, not clean like how you would keep your house, but clean how a, a hotel would keep their place clean. Do you chase the dust bunnies under that? Do you wipe your baseboards down once every couple of weeks? things like that. So make sure that the place looks absolutely pristine. 
and that it matches your photos or is better than your photos. Things like that, responsiveness, what amenities you offer, making sure that those amenities that you do offer are available. Those are the things that make the difference on guest experience. The way I like to tell people is imagine like someone books your place and it's for their honeymoon. What are you going to do to make sure that their honeymoon is amazing? Because if you're just going to be like, whatever, they paid, I don't care, they're going to leave soon. Well, you've ruined somebody's honeymoon experience. And that's something they're going to remember for the rest of their lives. So. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And for pricing, Edmonton maybe gets a big concert coming in and all of a sudden prices are going up. So how are you staying on top of that? Yeah. So when Garth Brooks came to Edmonton, it, I didn't raise my prices fast enough. So there's a, literally I, I sold out within 24 hours, all my units. When it comes to pricing, there's kind of two strategies. Number one, you choose a pricing automation software. They typically take a cut of your revenue, but in exchange, they automate your, your prices. They're okay. I won't say that they're great. They're definitely not my first choice because they take a lot of your revenue, um, if, especially for something that where if you're doing it manually yourself, you can save a lot of a lot of time and money. One thing you don't want to do though is you don't want to be the person who says, "Okay, I want to collect three thousand dollars a month, so my nightly rate's going to be three thousand divided by thirty, almost one hundred, and so every night's just going to be one hundred dollars." That's the way a lot of newbie hosts do it, and they leave a lot of money on the table. So I have the rates set on the weekends to be much higher, typically anywhere from 20 to 50% higher than my midweek uh, rates. But then typically my Tuesdays are the lowest rates, reduce those prices accordingly. That's something you got to figure out, you got to play with, and as you get to know your property more and more, you end up finding where that sweet spot is for those prices for the time of year. The other thing you can do as well is if you're unsure, go look at your competition. See what your competition is doing. All you got to do is pop in and uh, click on all the properties around you and you can see what everyone's charging per night. There's a little bit more strategies to it. And honestly, pricing is like a whole thing that probably takes an hour for me to talk about. But those are some things you can do to adjust your prices accordingly. Those are good tips. It's not static, obviously. It's dynamic and it's moving and there's factors that, like you said, like the Garth Brooks concert, something like that happens and there's huge demand in the city. I was there actually for the concert and the Uber, to get an Uber ride just went to, I think it was over $100 for a short ride. It just seemed like it was just, the whole city was at capacity. Yeah, it was nuts. It was crazy that night, those two nights. It was awesome. I remember I finally set the price on my, uh, one of my big houses. I just said, let's just set it to double what it normally would be. And it got booked. So I was like, sweet. Then a couple other booking listings got booked before I could raise the prices, which made me sad. Yeah, for sure. Do you have properties where it just isn't a good fit for short-term rental and you decide, oh, this is actually just a better long-term rental? Have you had that? Yeah. For example, in Edmonton, there's the Northwest section, and that's like Griesbach, Castle Downs. It's like a barren wasteland for Airbnbs because there's nothing there. All the families there are young, so nobody's traveling to visit grandma. There's no real event centers or anything like that in the area. It's pretty much like an area that is really nice for real estate investing, but it doesn't work as a short-term It's one of the best places to invest though if you're doing long-term rentals. So there's a lot of properties like that. And as well, I've got properties in the same building where one unit that does really well, it's one of my high performers, but then another exactly same unit, the different decor style is absolutely floundering, just not doing super well at all. So that's an example of where your decor matters, like what you put in for your marketing and amenities. And at the same time, though, there's always restrictions on some areas 
that used to be good are no longer good and some areas that used to not be so good are now great places to go. What about external factors? I know Edmonton reasonably well and I know you guys have the new rink there, Rogers Centre. Yeah, beautiful. But then if you just walk a little bit north of there, it's been a couple of years since I've been there, but there was a really rough area, very close to that event centre. So let's say you were thinking, oh, okay, it's so close, walking distance, and I'm going to put my short-term rental there. It's going to do amazing. And then they show up and people are scared to go walk down the street kind of thing. How do you deal with that? How do you avoid those types of things? I avoid it because it's not a place I would ever invest in as a long-term rental. It's not a property I would ever buy because I don't deal with that. The people who have gone properties in that area that I know, they do get a lot of people who don't know the area. So they just look on Google Maps and say, hey, it's close. It's perfect. What they do typically is in their pre-screening stuff, they tell the people if you're like one thing I'll say in my downtown units is say, hey, um, if you're unfamiliar with downtowns, we'd like to tell you that do not leave your valuables in your car. Do not leave things visible in your car uh, and make sure that you lock your car doors at night. So that kind of indicates to people, hey, like this area might be a little bit more rough without telling them, hey, you're in a sketchy spot. So that's the way I dealt with it, just like those those messages. When people ask me if, for example, my downtown units are literally across the street from Rogers Place, like you see it out the window. Um, I, when they ask about going to the Coliseum, they say, hey, yeah, can we walk to the Coliseum? I tell them, hey, yeah, the Coliseum, yeah, it's only like a 20-minute walk. It's a three-minute Uber, a three-minute car ride, seven minutes by LRT. However, I'd like to warn you, though, that I would not walk there at night because it goes through some neighborhoods that are the best. And so you just be upfront and honest about that. Some of the people who have their properties right in the middle of the sketchy areas, they actually just put it in their listing saying, hey, this area is a little bit rough, not recommended for people who uh, are uncomfortable in lower income areas. So mm -hmm. then when the guest books it and they complain, they say, it's literally in my listing. But the reality is no matter what, you're still going to get less and less good reviews in those areas. You're still going to lose reviews over time. You might have to restart your profile if worst case scenario comes because you're still going to get lower reviews on location. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, the location proximity is pretty amazing, but it's just all those negative heck factors outside that you can't control. Exactly. Reality is, and things are changing in Edmonton because the resources that were available for the homeless population have moved to new facilities that are in different places. So we're seeing a shuffling of where those things could be, and who knows? Maybe in three, four years, the area might start gentrifying and it might become a nice neighborhood. But for now, I just warn people about it without actually saying, hey, there's a bunch of homeless people kicking around. Be careful. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. You are doing a boot camp in Edmonton. Yeah, we're doing a boot camp and it is literally focused on the Edmonton market, but the stuff can be applied anywhere. I'm going to dive in and talk about uh, everything to do short-term rentals from buying the property to getting the property looking gorgeous. And Keaton's the guy who I've invited to be the guy who talks about financing, how to finance short-term rentals, how to set up your, your corporate structure if you're going to do it that way so that way you can still qualify for financing. He's an absolutely amazing guy, probably the best mortgage broker when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I asked him if he could join me and help speak about it. He said, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's Keaton Kirkwood. Keaton's awesome. He's been on my podcast before in previous shows. 
What other guest speakers are you going to have? Yeah, I'm really lucky to have uh, Jennifer Lee. She's from uh, Referral Queens and now probably one of the most amazing interior designists I know. She uh, even has her own TV show and stuff like that. So she's going to be copying, coming to talk about that interior design, different the base, kind of like how to understand interior design, how to be able to figure it out. When we did our first property, we hired an interior designer. My opinion, she was $2,000 that I'll never get back because at the end of the day, she didn't do very much for our interior design and it was really frustrating. So I actually went on YouTube and learned it all myself. However, Jennifer Lee is fantastic. The, the amount of knowledge she has and things that she's done for her clients to make their Airbnb stand out is amazing. It makes me super jealous. Mm-hmm. So she's coming. Uh, I have Christopher Michael coming as well. He's uh, from Calgary. He's probably the best person I know for finding off-market deals and unique deals. So he's absolutely awesome. He's going to come. He's going to speak about that, how to find properties, especially with creative financing options. I got uh, Adrian as well speaking. And he'll be talking more about like the analyzing specific properties. So if you have a property, how can you figure out if it's going to be a good shortcut rate, as opposed to the way I do, where I look at the market and then narrow it. That's amazing. When is it and how do people find out more about it and sign up? Yeah, it's March 8th, 9th, and 10th. The 8th will be just an evening thing. Uh, the 9th and 10th will be from 9 to 5. So that's going to be the event. Um, uh, to find out more, just go to CanadianSTRinvestor.com. And if you want, you can sign up for tickets. If you're not sure if you can be there for the whole thing, uh, the, the main access or the VIP access options will give you access to the replays as well. And then something we haven't touched on, you're the Airbnb community leader. Yeah, I'm the one for Edmonton. And what does that mean to be the community leader? Yeah, so back in 20, after COVID hit, Airbnb realized that there was all these little like groups everywhere that were into short-term rentals, but a lot of areas that were having a hard time connecting with each other for the host communities. Like short-term rental communities are very different from like real estate investing communities. We're very tight knit. People are more willing to help each other out and give each other advice. Uh, So Airbnb decided to launch the community program and made a whole bunch of little host clubs. Edmonton and Northern Alberta is one host club. And they actually reached out to me and said, hey, we'd like you to apply to be the community leader. I said, sure, why not? I did the application. We had a wonderful interview with some people at Airbnb Corporate. And they selected me and a couple other people to act as the community leaders. My job is to be that bridge between the hosts and Airbnb itself, but also to plan the events. Airbnb pays for a couple of events every single year for hosts to get together to provide any access and information about upcoming updates to the program, algorithm shifts, stuff like that. That's like my job there and when it comes to community leaders. Calgary has got an amazing uh, community leadership group as well. They're fantastic. They do the Calgary and Southern Alberta group. And then there's also a Rocky Um You've shared a ton of great information about short-term rentals. And I'm sure some of the listeners are going to be interested in this boot camp as well. Yeah. Honestly, like this is the only time I'm ever going to do an event like this, talking about analyzing the Edmonton market. So if anyone's been interested in stuff like that, I highly recommend you come on up. What type of topics are you going to cover? I'm definitely going to cover arbitrage and co-hosting and also owning your own properties. Those are like the main things that people are curious about. I'm going to talk frankly about arbitrage and my experience with arbitrage. I still have arbitrage units. So that's going to be one thing that we cover in it as well as co-hosting as well, which is where essentially Airbnb property management. It's a little bit of a different world. It's not covered by RECA. So I'm going to be talking about that and how to get into that because those are like really affordable ways for people starting out to get in with lower down into real estate. I think that's the, one of the barriers for a lot of people is maybe they don't own 
all these properties that they can just turn into short-term rentals. Honestly, there's giant companies down in the States who, who do that, who arbitrage units, um, like thousands of units, Sondor and uh, Pada Suites and stuff like that. Big companies, they rent out sometimes entire apartment buildings. It's a little bit different though in the States. It's a very different world. Good. Yeah, I bet. Okay, so we're just going to finish off here. I'm going to ask you a few more kind of just easier personal questions. So what, what type of stuff do you like doing with your downtime? Obviously, hanging out with my family, my kids. I got three and a half kids, so another one on the way. That's probably one of my favorites. The other thing I love to do is I love to make epoxy tables. That's one of the things I do. It's becoming a bit of a side business. I love woodworking. Those are probably like the main hobbies I have right now. I used to do a lot more rock climbing, stuff like that. Yeah, you mentioned custom furniture at the beginning of the show. We never had time to dive into that. Yeah, I think I'm the only person who started making epoxy crystal epoxy dining tables like a river table but it's got like crystals in it that's my current little thing do you have a book you've read recently that you'd recommend i have the problem where i'm always reading audiobooks not physical books but the last book i i read that i would recommend to any of your listeners was actually the never eat lunch alone it's a fantastic book it's uh it's about essentially socializing and networking and although there's some things in it that I wouldn't recommend, some of his like strategies, overall, it was really good for being able to turn and put networking into a daily activity. The saying is, your network is your net worth. I found it applies in modern day life. 100%. Where's somewhere you'd like to travel that you've never been before? I think probably the place I really would like to go is Lithuania. That's where my family's from part of it. Obviously, now is not the best time to go with all the uh, international tensions because it's right beside Russia. But that's one place I really want. Best way for people to get in touch with you? Honestly, shoot me a message on Facebook. Send me a DM and I'll respond to it as fast as I can. Facebook is Carlos Yanolinis. It's my full name. Facebook and I am Canadian STR guy. There'll be links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show. I really enjoyed it and I hope you have a great turnout at your boot camp. Yeah, should be exciting.